Chapter Fifteen of Trails End. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Chestnut. Trails End by George W. Ogden. Chapter Fifteen will his luck hold dora escorted morgan to a table apart from the few heavy feeders who were already engaged indicating to the other two girls who served with her in the dining room that this was her special customer and guest of honor she whirled the merry-go-round caster to bring the salt and pepper to his hand just so she placed his knife and fork and plate overturned to keep the flies off the business side of it then she hurried away for his breakfast, asking no questions bearing on his preferences or desires. A plain breakfast in those vigorous times was unvarying. Beefsteak, ham or bacon to give it a savor, eggs, fried potatoes, hot biscuits, coffee. It was the same as dinner, which came on the stroke of twelve, and none of your six o'clock pretenses about that meal, except there was no pie identical with supper save for the boiled potatoes and rice pudding a man of proper proportions never wanted any more he could not thrive on any less and the only kind of a liver they ever worried about in that time on the plains of kansas was a white one that was the only disease of that organ known dora was troubled her face reflected her unrest as glass reflects the firelight her blue eyes were crowded by its gloom she made a pretense of brushing crumbs from the cloth where there were no crumbs in order to furnish an excuse to stoop and bring her lips nearer morgan's ear he's comin on the one twenty this afternoon i got it straight he's comin i thought maybe you'd like to know she said morgan lifted his eyes in feigned surprise at this news not having it in his heart to cloud her generous act by the revelation of a suspicion that it was no news to him you mean i got it straight dora nodded thank you miss dora i hope to god she said for it was their manner to speak ardently in ascalon those days you'll beat him to it when he gets off the train a man can only do his best dora he said gently moved by her honest friendship simple wild thing though she was if i was a man i'd take my gun and go with you to meet him she declared i know you would but maybe there'll not be any fuss at all there'll be fuss enough all right dora protested if he comes alone but maybe he'll not come alone a man who rose from a nearby table came over to shake hands with morgan and expressed his appreciation for the good beginning he had made as a peace officer of the town. Dora snatched Morgan's cup and hastened away for more coffee. When she returned, the citizen was on his way to the door. Craddock used to come in here and wolf his meals down, she said, picking up her theme in the same troubled key, just like it didn't amount to nothing to kill a man a day. I looked to see blood on the tablecloth every time his hand touched it. It's a shame you girls had to wait on the brute, Morgan said. Girls, he wouldn't let anybody but me wait on him, Dora frowned, her face coloring. She bent a little, lowering her voice. 
why mr morgan what do you suppose he wanted me to marry him that old buffalo wrangler well he is kind of previous he's too fresh to keep i told him marry him he used to come in here mr morgan and put his hat down by his foot so he could grab it and run out and kill another man without losing time he never used to take his guns off and hang em up like other gentlemen when they eat he just sat there watchin and turning his mean old eyes all the time he's afraid of them i know by the way he always tried to look behind him without turning his head never saying a word to anybody he's afraid afraid of whom dora the ghosts of them murdered men morgan shook his head after seeming to think it over a little while i don't believe they'd trouble him much dora i'd rather wait on a dog she said scorn and rebellion in her pretty eyes you can marry somebody else and beat him on that game anyhow i'll bet there are plenty of them standing around waiting oh mr morgan dora was drowned in blushes greatly pleased not so many as you might think turning her eyes upon him with coquettish challenge only mr gray and riley caldwell the printer on the headlight mr gray the druggist yes but he's too old for me dora sighed forty if he's a day he's got money though and he's perfectly grand on the piano you ought to hear him play the maiden's prayer i'll listen out for him i saw him washing his window a while ago a tall man with a big white shirt yes abstractedly that was him he's an elegant fine man but i don't give a snap for none of em i wish i could leave this town and never come back you'll be in for dinner won't you as morgan pushed back from the repletion of that standard meal and for supper too i hope he said turning it off as a joke i hope to god said dora fervently seeing no joke in the uncertainty at all excitement was laying hold of ascalon even at that early hour when morgan went on the street after breakfast he found many people going about gathering in groups along the shady fronts or hastening singly in the matter of men bound upon the confirmation of unusual news the pale fish of the night were out in considerable numbers leaking cigarette smoke through all the apertures of their faces as they grouped according to their kind to discuss the probabilities of the day seth craddock was coming back with fire in his red eyes their deliverer was on his way there was no secret of seth's coming any longer even peden leered in triumph when he met morgan as he sauntered outside his closed door in the particular distinction of his black coat which the strong sun of that summer morning was not powerful enough to strip from his broad back none of the saloons or resorts made an attempt to open their doors to business the proprietors appeared to have on the other hand a secret pleasure in keeping them closed perhaps counting on the gain that would be theirs when this brief prohibition should come to its end opposed to this pleasurable expectancy of the proscribed was the uneasiness and doubt of the respectable true this man morgan had taken seth craddock's gun away from him once but luck must have had much to do with his preservation in that perilous adventure 
Morgan had rounded up the Texas men quartered on the town under Craddock's patronage also, but they were sluggish from their debauch, and he had approached them with the caution of a man coming up on the blind side of a horse. Yesterday that looked like a big, heroic thing for one man to accomplish, but in the light of reflection today it must be admitted that it was mainly luck. Yes, Morgan had closed up the town last night, defying even Peden in his own hall, where defiance as a rule meant business for the undertaker. But the glamour of his morning success was still over him at that time. Peden and his bouncers were a little cautious, a little cowed. He could not close the town up another night. Murmurs of defiance were beginning to rise already. And so the people who had applauded his drastic enforcement of the law last night became of no more support to Morgan today than a furrow of sand. Luck was a great thing if a man could play it forever, they said, but it was too much to believe that luck would hold even twice with Morgan when he confronted Seth Craddock that afternoon. Morgan walked about the square that morning like a stranger. Few spoke to him, many turned inward from their doors when they saw him coming, afraid that a little friendship publicly displayed might be laid up against them for a terrible reckoning of interest by and by. Morgan was neither offended nor downcast by this public coldness in the quarter, where he had a right to expect commendation and support. He understood too well the lengths that animosities ran in such a town as Ascalon. A living coward was more comfortable than a dead reformer, according to their philosophy. It was when passing the post office, about nine o'clock in the morning, that Morgan met Retta Thayer. She saw him coming and waited. Her face was flushed. Indignation disturbed the placidity of her eyes. "'They don't deserve it, the cowards!' she burst out, after a greeting too serious to admit a smile. "'Deserve what?' he inquired, looking about in mystification, wondering if something had happened in the post office to fire this indignation. "'The help and protection of a brave man,' she said. Morgan was so suddenly confused by this frank, impetuous appreciation of his efforts, for there was no mistaking the application, that he could not find a word. Retta did not give him much time, to be sure, but ran on with her denunciation of the citizenry of the town. "'I wouldn't turn a hand for them again, Mr. Morgan. I'd throw up the whole thing and let them cringe like dogs before that murderer when he comes back. It's good enough for them. It's all they deserve.' "'You can't expect them to be very warm toward a stranger,' he said, excusing them according to what he knew to be their due. "'They're afraid you can't do it.' They're telling one another your luck will fail this time. Luck! That's all the sense there is in that bunch of cowards. They may be right, he said thoughtfully. You know they're not right, she flashed back, defending him against himself as though he were another. I don't expect any generosity from them, he said, gentle in his tone and undisturbed. They're afraid if my luck should happen to turn against me, they'd have to pay for any friendship shown me here this morning. Business is business, even in Ascalon. Luck, she scoffed. It's funny you're the only lucky man that struck this town in a long time, then. If it's all luck, why don't some of them try their hands at rounding up the crooks and killers of this town and showing them the road the way you did that gang yesterday? 
Yes, I know all about that kind of luck. Morgan walked with her toward Judge Thayer's office, whither she was bound with the mail. Behind them the loafers snickered and passed quips of doubtful humor and undoubted obscenity, but careful to present the face of decorum until Morgan was well beyond their voices. No matter what doubt they had of his luck holding with Seth Craddock, they were not of a mind to make a trial of it on themselves. "'I think the best thing to do with this town is just let it go till it dries up and blows away,' she said with the vindictive impatience of youth. "'What little good there is in it isn't worth the trouble of cleaning up to save.' "'Your father's got everything centered here,' he told me. "'There must be a good many honest people in the same boat.' maybe we could sell out for something enough to take us away from here of course we expected ascalon to turn out a different town when we came here the railroad promised to do so much but there's nothing to make a town when the cattle are gone we might as well let it begin to die right now you're gloomy this morning miss thayer you remember the mennonites that wanted to settle here and were afraid there's no use for you to throw your life away making the country safe for them of course not i hadn't thought of them nor any of these cold-nosed cowards that turn their backs on you for fear that your luck's going to change luck the fools they don't figure in the case at all miss thayer if it's on account of your own future if you're trampling down a place in the briars to make your bed as pa called it then I think you can find a nicer place to camp than Ascalon. It never will repay the peril you'll run and the blood you'll lose have lost already. I'm further out of the calculation than anybody, Miss Thayer. I don't see what other motives there can be, then, she reflected, eyes bent to the ground as she walked slowly by his side. A lady asked me to undertake it. I'm doing it for her, he replied she was a thoughtless selfish person retta said her deep feeling stressed in the flush of her face her accusation as vehement as if she laid charges against another last night she thought it over she had time to realize the danger she had asked a generous stranger to assume she wants to withdraw the request today. she asks you to give it up and let ascalon go on its wicked way tell her he said gently, holding her pleading pained eyes a moment with his assuring gaze, that a man can't drop a piece of work like this and turn his back on it and walk away. They'd say in Ascalon that he was a coward, and they'd be telling the truth. Oh, I oughtn't have argued you into it, she regretted, bitter in her self-blame. But the thought of that terrible, cruel man, of all he's killed, all he will kill if he comes back, made a selfish coward of me we had gone through a week of terror you can't understand a woman's terror of that kind of men storming the streets at night uncurbed a man can only guess i was so grateful to you for driving them away from here for purifying the air after them like a rain that i urged you to go ahead and finish the job just as if we were conferring a great favor I didn't think at the time, but I've thought it all over since. You mustn't worry about it any more. It is a great favor, a great honor to be asked to serve you at all. You're too generous, Mr. Morgan. There are only a few of us here who care about order and peace. You can see that for yourself this morning, 
no matter what assurance they gave you yesterday. Let it go. If you don't want to get your horse and ride away, you can at least resign. You've got justification enough for that. You've seen the men that promised to support you yesterday turn their backs on you when you came up the street today. They don't want the town shut up. They don't want it changed. Not when it hits their pocketbooks. You can tell Pa that and resign, or I'll tell him. It was my fault. I got you into it. You couldn't expect me to do that. You don't expect it, he chided, his voice grave and low. I can want you to. I don't expect it. Of course not. We'll not talk about it any more. They continued toward her father's office in silence, crossing the stretch of barren in which the little catalpa tree stood. Retta looked up into his face. You've never killed a man, Mr. Morgan, she said, more as a positive statement than as a question. No, I never have, Miss Thayer, Morgan answered her, as ingenuously sincere as she had asked it. I think I know it by the touch of a man's hand, she said, her face growing pale from her deep revulsion. I shudder at the touch of blood, if you could be spared that in the ordeal ahead of you. There's no backing out of it. The challenge is past, he said. No, there's no way. He's coming. He knows you're waiting for him. But I hope you'll not have to. I hope you'll come out of it clean. A curse of blood falls on every man that takes this office. I wish—I hope you can keep clear of that. End of chapter 15 Recording by Jeff Chestnut